Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Today, I am very, very excited to be joined by the illustrious Anna Dorn. Anna is a writer and former criminal appellate attorney living in Los Angeles, and she is the author of three books. Um, I've read all of them, and they're wonderful. Um, Vagabond, which came out in 2020, Bad Lawyer, which came out in 2021, and then Exalted, which just came out last month. So welcome, Anna. Thanks for having me. Of course, we've actually, I think I started following you on Twitter, like when I started talking about Vagabond, because this podcast shifted from like me talking about the books I read every week to actually talking to the people who make the books, which is more interesting, in my opinion, create the (laughs) words. Um, And I think I've, you know, recommended TV shows and stuff to you a few times. So it's nice to finally put a face to the to the name. The Instagram handle, the Instagram Instagram handle. And I mean, I'm always watching TV, so I always love recommending things to people. Um, But you have a fascinating background, as I just discussed. Um, You went from a lawyer to a novelist. So if you want to touch a little bit, I mean, I know that's what your memoir, That Lawyer, discusses in depth. But if you want to just talk a little bit about um, your journey there and um, the biggest like similarities and differences between the two um, roles that you play now. Sure. Um, I think a lot of, I mean, I feel like most writers want to be, or sorry, most lawyers want to be writers Mm. or want to be like, or fancy themselves artists of some sort. (laughs) I mean, I don't think many people who do law are really passionate about it. Um, it is sort of the thing that people, I mean, I certainly just sort of found myself in law school, um, without really thinking about what it meant to be a lawyer. Um, so being a lawyer was never really my goal. It was just kind of like, people were like, oh, you can do anything with a law degree and you're good at school. And I don't think that's true that you can do anything with a law degree. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I think that's a lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so once I had my first law job, I was like, I can't, this like can't be my life. Um, so then I just really started, I started writing a book um, at my law job, like during the day, like instead of doing the it's the, cla- it's the classic, like <laughs> the writer inside, like as you're at your like soul crushing day job. Yeah. Yeah. And I recommend like when I teach novel writing, I recommend all my students to write at work um, because I don't know, I, I feel every job I've had, like, especially an office job, which are, is less of a thing now. Um, I feel like I spend like two, like the work I have takes maybe two hours. Yeah. And then you're if you're lucky. After, yeah. Yeah. You're there the other, whatever, six or seven, and you may as well be writing. Um, so if you want to be a writer. So I did that. And then, yeah, that, that, that novel was a total mess. Um, then I wrote another novel that, you know, I got an agent with, but then didn't sell. And then eventually um, I sold Vagabond. Oh, very cool. And so have you found, obviously, that some of the skills from your lawyer time and your law degree have played into your role as a writer and teacher now? Um, well, I mean, law is very, law involves, especially litigation, involves a lot of writing. And I was doing appellate law, which is very writing heavy. I mean, I was mostly writing briefs. Um, it's a very different type of writing. I right. mean, I sort of kill a lot of uh ticks that the law <laughs> gave me like sort of like um I think the law is like a little overly formal and inaccessible and yes. I had to sort of make my writing a little bit uh, less pretentious and um 
But the law is like writing briefs. I mean, it's all about being persuasive um, and right. also like legal writing. I mean, I actually really enjoyed legal writing because um, I'm a nerd, but it's very, it has to be very clean um, huh. and very like, no like overly clunky sentences. There's, there's no like flowery language. Right, no like stream of consciousness, prosaic fun no, thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah, it's very deliberate and it's very uh, precise. And so I think that that helps. Um, but although I do like my fiction to be a little messy. Um, yeah, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's, that's a solid. And, um, you know, speaking of real life and your fiction, how has your, um, real life informed the satirical version of LA that is so vibrant in both Vagabond and now in Exalted? It's like um, such a specific weird version of LA that I think anyone who's lived here or visited can relate to like some part of it, but I think it's especially like living here you really get that i mean i've lived here over six years now so like that i'm not a native angelino but that disillusionment and like wonder the balance is so like visceral in your books i love it thanks um i've been writing about la since or i've been setting books in la since before i even lived in la so oh okay i've always been a little obsessed with la i mean who Um, hasn't it's it's a city there's a lot to be obsessed about yeah um and uh, I'm from the East Coast, so I think Same, I grew up yeah. like romanticizing LA a little bit or yes. romanticizing California. And, um, you know, then I read like Joan Didion and Brady Stanellis, and I got a little bit more into like its portrayals in literature and a little bit like the darker side. And um, I don't know, it's pretty, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, it, I'm bad at doing these like interviews because I, so I don't know. <laughs> So much of my writing is um is not conscious. It's like I, I'm not uh I kind of like let it happen. So so yeah, I started writing books in LA before I lived here and um I probably won't ever stop. I just like I really I, I feel like it's just like I love the way it looks, I love how it's abject, I love how everybody's a little delusional, I love how it's very isolating, I love the economic precarity. I love Lana Del Rey, who also is a girl from the East Coast. What a, what a queen. Love Lana Del Rey, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also an East Coast girl who, um, you know, mythologizes California. So, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't have the most concise. Answer. No, I think that's really cool because I think I'm also from the East Coast and I always grew up with that romanticize- romanticization of California. Speaking of bad interviews, by the way, too, like I do these and I'm sometimes like. I write things down, but the stream of consciousness and the words, because, you know, it's unfiltered and I usually don't edit anything unless it's like super bad. Um, so it's, you know, we, we end up with all kinds of fun things. And now I'm about to be like, where was I even going with that train of thought? Um, but no, I think there's this sort of like amorphous longing and difference between the people who grew up in Los Angeles or grew up in California and the people who came to the East Coast, like also kind of by choice too. Like, I think a lot of sometimes people are like transferred here for a job that they don't necessarily want, but it's the people like I chose to move to Los Angeles after college with like no job. And so I think, you know, having that combination of your like dreamlike experiences versus my first few years here, especially it was always like this weird combination of like feeling like I was in a music video almost when I would like walk down the street and I'd be like, is this real life right now? Is this like my interpretation of Los Angeles? And especially when you encounter those surreal moments in real life, it's like, what is even happening? And I think it's really cool that you don't even really think about that, but it's so easily like understood on the page. Thanks. (laughs) Where in the East Coast are you from? Um, I'm from outside the Boston area. Oh, cool. What about you? DC. 
Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I have only visited DC once, but I feel like, you know, each city in the East Coast has its own vibe, but even just East Coast in general is just a different vibe from mm-hmm. LA. And did you move here for law school, right? I moved to Berkeley for law school. Right, for Berkeley. Right. Actually, so you were in California. I was all I was actually already in San Francisco. And then I got into Berkeley and then I stayed in the Bay Area for like six years. And I've been here for about six years. Yeah, San Francisco was like my original infatuation. And I visited there a few times in college and was like, oh, I really want to move here. And then as it became like closer to a reality, just like, I don't know, San Francisco didn't totally vibe with me. And the few times I've visited since then, I'm so great. I feel like as much as I've had my gripes with LA, it's like definitely the place for me. Um, so in you know getting into Exalted, the, your newest book that I literally devoured in like one night, because I was like, this is so amazing. Um, Emily and Dawn, they are two fractured, fucked up, fully formed women that come mm-hmm. alive off the page. And they just really, I just was so easily able to picture them. So was there any specific inspiration for them? Um, and did you know from the beginning that their paths would be intertwined without giving away too many spoilers? <laughs> um, well, I had several drafts of the book without Dawn. Dawn was a later edition. Okay. Um, yeah, originally, Emily was sort of um, the Emily character was like the initial like sort of spark for the book mm-hmm. was um, I had a friend who had a subletter who ran one of those Instagram um, astrology <laughs> accounts. I love that. And she, uh, it's a pretty popular one. I won't say what it is, but um, <laughs> she didn't believe in astrology and she was just kind of like astrology memes are just the easiest to make and you get a lot of followers and she was very cynical and she never left her bedroom. I actually never met her. I only heard about her. Um, she never left her bedroom and she smoked the bong all day and had this like hacking cough. And um, that sometimes I that, yeah. cough. Um, <laughs> Wait, so uh, you were like in the, you would be in the apartment when she was there yeah, and just, she would never emerge from her bedroom. Yeah. You know, I hate to say that I've probably like been that roommate earlier in my oh, life at time. You know, we all have, but when yeah. you, be, you know, it's at a certain point, it's like at some point you got to go to the bathroom or like emerge to get food, <laughs> food or something. Yeah. I, maybe I saw her once. I don't think I ever talked to her, but yeah. So then, then I started like writing the character of Emily and, you know, I didn't know the girl. So she was like the spark. Right. Then, then she became more probably like me. Um, and then, and also like, I, you know, had this like maybe unhealthy obsession with astrology at the time that I felt like when I find myself becoming obsessed with something in an unhealthy way, I have to start writing about it. And also just kind of like a nice place to put it. I was yeah. like, why am I accumulating all this knowledge? Let me just like put it <laughs> dump it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was Emily. And then, oh yeah. And then, so the original perspectives was um, first person, Emily. And then I have these like third person vignettes from the perspective mm, okay. of the guy that she becomes obsessed with. And uh, my agent was basically like, you like, can't really write straight men. And I guess that's <laughs> yes. maybe true. I don't know. Um, they're, a, they're a hard beast to figure out. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, she was like, but it needs something else. And then I was like thinking in like the Bo character had sort of referenced his like trashy mom. And I was like, okay. So she was kind of there a little bit from the beginning. Yeah. Like she'd been mentioned, like she didn't have a name and I didn't, she wasn't a lesbian. I made her a lesbian later because I was like, oh, I need to make this book a little gayer. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So then I just started trying to write from Dawn's perspective and I was a little worried that the character was kind of cartoonish and, and still am, but, um, but yeah, she, it was, it was fun to write. 
then that becomes like a paradox to you because I mean, and I've never even really been to Riverside and it's kind of like a stereotype in LA as well. But I think that those stereotypes like exist for a reason and you do meet a lot of people who act like Dawn and who are that kind of stereotype. But I think, again, you're able to break her down and like see why she has, you know, fulfilled or become some of those stereotypes in a, in a weird way. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you still believe in astrology? Like how much do you, you know, did this book make you even more jaded towards it? Cause you said you used to be obsessed with it, but are you, are you no longer? I'm not sure if I've ever really believed in it. I think it was like an obsession less than a belief. Um, Yeah. I always, it was always a little tongue in cheek or just like something fun to talk about and think about. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think that it's, it can be very helpful to people and it's been helpful to me at certain times. Like I've had moments where, um, learning certain things about my chart is like, you know, boosted my self-esteem confidence or, uh, made me less afraid. So, um, So, yeah, you know, I respect, I respect, I respect it and I respect everybody's sort of relationship with it. But for me, I'm sort of trying to let go a little. (laughs) Do you think that like parapsychology and pseudosciences, like, do you think that overall that those are more helpful or harmful? Or do you think that it doesn't even really exist in a binary and it can kind of like go either way? I don't think it's a binary. Yeah. I think it depends. Yeah. I think for, there's a period when it got a little unhealthy for me, but there's also a period when it was helpful. So yeah, I think it's both sides of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. It's the case. Um, and so we've, as discussed, you know, we have both love pop culture. We both are always consuming TV and books. Um, so how much pop culture do you feel like you consume naturally and how much do you think you view it now through a lens of like something to write about or obsess about and dissect? Um, I've always been pretty naturally interested in pop culture. Uh, and, and I can't, and I'm an analytical person and a critical person. So I'm a Virgo, so I can't really (laughs) look through everything through a critical and analytical lens. Um, but no, I don't, I don't consume it thinking that this is something to write about. I, I consume it just because I want to. And, and I'm pretty like, I, I have major blind spots when it comes to pop culture. Like I have my little, you know, everything about the Kardashians and like the real housewives of New York, but like, I don't know, like there's, there's a lot of like celebrities that people mention and I have no idea what they're talking about. So I don't, I don't like follow it in broad strokes. I just sort of go where my interests take me. Yes. Um, I think that's what is the easier way to go. Cause like, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I don't really know any of the housewives or the Kardashians, but like I'm obsessed with 90 day fiance. And I could tell you all the people on each spinoff and I'm watching like pillow talk, which is literally people from the past shows, like reacting to the show that I just watched. I've heard I actually do like 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> I'm a huge Darcy fan. I'm oh, Darcy and Stacey. They I are. Love Darcy. They yeah. are. She, yeah, she's very like Real Housewives-esque. They're fascinating. Yeah. Did you watch her show? Her I story? did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she is fascinating. I mean, like the men that she chooses and now like Tom yeah. has kind of become like, and Jesse in a way, they've both become like regulars on like, you know, some of the other like spinoffs or the tell-alls. And I'm just like, Right. The people that, yeah, it's, it's really a fascinating universe and yeah, they have their own show. There's the family Chantel, which is another girl who was like on the show. One of the first few seasons has a crazy family. So now they're like following the family and the family of her husband in the Dominican Republic. It's also like trash when you, when you want to say it out loud, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever said. And I 
I've, but you know, that's the whole other thing. Cause I don't think there's anything as such thing as dumb reality TV. Um, I don't even know where I was going. Yeah. I think it's just like, we all have our little niches and our obsessions. Cause I think there's just so much in pop culture that it would be like impossible. Like I already feel overwhelmed when I'm like, okay, there's so many books I have to read and so many yeah. things I have to watch. And I'm like, I love music, but I'm like not even really good about like following contemporary music. So like when people talk about like Post Malone or like, I don't know, whoever, like, I know who Justin Bieber is and stuff, but I, sometimes, <laughs> you know, we all kind of have like our blind spots and we feel dumb, no, but then it allows you to like explore other things, but it's just kind of like where your interests lie. And I think the analytical piece, you know, can come the more interested you are than the sort of like the analytical piece builds, but you're still having fun when you're analyzing it. Cause if you're only analyzing it, that it's not fun. Yeah. I remember it. There's a point at which I thought that Post Malone was like a niche artist that I discovered because I really don't keep <laughs> track of like what's popular. Um, so I was like telling, I don't know, I was talking to my friend and I was like, yeah, I brought, I was, I think I was writing an article about like underground rappers and I was like, Post Malone, and he, Post Malone is extremely famous. And I was like, I did not know that. I mean, I couldn't name one of his songs. I just like know who yeah. he is. And that's sometimes I even know who they are because I see like, the ad for like their McDonald's meal or something right. like it's right. it's weird yeah there's but there's only so much again but I could tell you like all the you know Darcy's daughters and I could tell you Tina Tom and Jesse and who they're dating yeah. <laughs> and Annika, all those those girls <laughs> and that. then uh Florian yeah. and Stacy what what a fascinating I love couple. Florian Flor- yeah Florian he, he grew on me I didn't like he him really he grew on me too I think he really cares about Stacy I think he does family. too because yeah. he's put up with a lot of her bullshit and I think a lot of other men would have just kind of walked away mm-hmm. uh, Georgie we are not team Georgie though not no Georgie sucks if anything I guess Tom was the best but Dar- yeah. Darcy just wanted too much too soon it was I yeah, mean again I could, t- the best. I could talk about it all day but uh, <laughs> that's that's another topic um <laughs> Let's let's shift a little bit and talk about queer identity and queer representation in your novels and your characters. I would definitely, you know, say you are a contemporary queer writer. Do you feel like that's something that you identify with as yourself and something that you get call, you know, get called, I guess, or like something or that's something that's more just like intrinsically part of you and not something you think about as like being a queer writer? That's a yeah, it's a hard question. I think it shifts. Um, you know, I definitely just to be a little cynical. Yes. I I see it as sometimes I do see it as like marketing. I mean, you know, I, it it is useful marketing, you know, my books, two of my books, sorry, the dishwasher is making a lot of noise. No, you're all good. Okay. Um, Two of my books have come out in June. That's pride month, you know, so it like becomes a whole new. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. When I get on all these lists and yeah, I think of it like kind of as marketing. I mean, I also do think about representation, but my own sort of relationship to my sexuality has shifted a lot over the years. But, um, and, and I don't have any problems with like, I'm not one of those people who's like, I can't read about heteros, you know, um, <laughs> lots of, lots of books. I love, I love a lot of like heterosexual love stories and books or anti-romances or whatever. But, um, you know, I do like writing for women who love women and, you know, who want to see a relationship that, you know, is familiar to them reflected in a book. So yeah, so it's mixed. Yeah. But it's partially sincere and partially marketing. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. You know, you haven't been too jaded where you're not just like, yeah. I, you know, you know, but I do think it, I didn't even think about the June connection. Um, have you read was Ryan O'Connell? I think the, his book here is looking at you, which came out also in June. 
I haven't. Have oh my you? God, it was, yeah, it was so good. I was just, that, oh. that's another book though, that I feel like he is a gay author and I haven't read his other book, which was then like turned into a Netflix show and it was a memoir, but it's like, I, he's interesting too. Cause he also has cerebral palsy and he talks about like being disabled and gay and he, but he did a similar sort of like auto fiction where it's like, definitely like not him, but there's a lot of, you know, him in the character. Um, and, you know, speaking of autofiction, so again, I'm sure you've probably read some books where it's very clear that like the character has the same name as the author and they're, you know, a very thinly veiled disguise at like a memoir or shrouded in fiction. But I think your characters do a nice job, especially having read Bad bad lawyer and understanding a little bit more about your personal self and your personal journey. Like you can see the glimpses of yourself and the characters as well as, you know, the fictional liberties because they are fiction. Um, but like how much of yourself, you know, do you put into the characters and how much do you think that it sort of just like flows from your experience or your, your little bits, you know, like where, where do these characters really come from and these stories um, along with them? Well, Emily was probably my, like, Exalted's probably my least autobiographical book. Um, right. Because, and I. Mean, I you're, you're not a straight woman who is yeah. obsessed with uh, somebody who is not who they see. I don't want to I'm not that. obsessed with Winona Ryder. <laughs> I, think, I think she's fine. I mean, I like her, but I'm not obsessed with her. Um, and, you know, I like Drake. Emily hates Drake. I like, I love Libras. Emily hates Libras. So it's not. Um, <laughs> and yes, it's not you. So yeah, like when do you choose to put pieces of yourself in? And then when do you choose to like separate more? Well, it's not really conscious. It's sort of like a dream. It's like every character is mm -hmm. you to some extent yeah. or some part of you. Um, I mean, you're creating it. So it's you. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I would say having my memoir, I hate even saying that word, um, come out. I think of Chris Jenner saying like memoir. Memoir. Yeah, I know. Is it uh, um, is it weird? Do you just consider it like a book that you put out or like your story? Yeah, really? it doesn't yeah. really, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know how much I can say, but I would, whatever, I can be open. <laughs> it was a pretty traumatic experience. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of felt like pushed into it. Like I didn't pitch it as a memoir. I wanted to write like more like academic essays uh -huh. and I was sort of pushed into writing a memoir and was offered a lot of money. And I was just like, I felt like, yeah, I have a lot of regrets about no, it. You can, also, feel, you can feel pressured. I mean, that's okay to say. Yeah. I felt very pressured and, um, you know, the editor had a very specific idea of like what my life was, uh. you know, and um, it doesn't really feel like me. So it's just weird, like saying memoir, because I don't feel particular. like of my three books. That's the one I'm least connected. To. I didn't really I didn't really uh, like promote it on social. I yeah, just, I don't even know. I think. It came out last year. I don't know why I read it within the past like six months, but it definitely did not get the same buzz because I'm always just interested in the marketing perspective too of like yeah. which novels get a ton of attention and yeah. which novels are super overrated and don't deserve that attention. <laughs> like a few other novels that we won't name, but then... <laughs> excuse me, like which ones are super underrated. And I was, I thought it was interesting because Vagabond was super, you know, like hot new book and debut. And usually when someone has another book coming out after a successful debut, they really promote that. So was that sort of like a conscious decision on your part? Yeah. yeah. Um, I purposely did not promote it. I, yeah, I didn't ask people for blurbs. I didn't, I just kind of like tried to pretend it didn't exist hmm, okay. um, because I was very embarrassed by it and it was very shameful and, yeah, there's just a lot that I, um, yeah, I felt very 
there's a lot of regret about that whole thing. So, but it's, it's like maybe going to be adapted into a TV show. So now I have to like, <laughs> like revisit but, it. And yeah, but it's it. not, the TV show is not autobiographical at all. It has nothing to do with my life and almost has nothing in common with the book. But I think my, my anxiety is just that it might cause when, when something's adapted, more people buy the book. And so right. that's like, I don't want people to buy it. Um, <laughs> so anyways, after that, and I, I really had no idea that publishing a memoir was going to be so emotionally difficult. Like, cause I'd been writing about my, you know, personal essay stuff online for years uh-huh. and I never felt any type of way about it, but um, it's just different when you publish a book, you're right. like family members read it. And um, it just like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. So so I think that for that reason, I made Exalted Extra, not autobiographical, because I really wanted to hide. And, and I oh, kind okay. of am like, I would never write anything other than fiction again. Um, Interesting. So it, it totally turned you off from like publishing a nonfiction book, yeah, but, like essays in the future like, or something. Yeah, I mean, essays I might do, but no, I wouldn't write about myself. Like it would be like, it, Pop I would culture write, or it something. was very researched. Yeah. Right. And like, yeah, about academic or something yeah have you read like lindy west's books like shit actually like she's really great and she does like hot takes on movies that are you know dumb on paper but then she kind of like interweaves her own personal she's actually really cool too she's like openly in a polyamorous relationship on instagram and has like opened up her public life and she's really she's just a cool author so you should check her out i just love putting queer sounds familiar true yeah, sure. Yeah, she wrote okay. us. I always forget because again, that's an example too of the adaptation where it's like I really liked the book and I liked the TV show, but I almost forget that like and she was involved with the TV show, I think too. But like I forget because I they just felt so different too. And even though it was kind of the same character, it was like Shrill was her autobiographical story, whereas again, similar like the character created in the TV show was like based on that idea, but not. So that's uh, very interesting that you kind of like wanted to, to hide in that fiction. So you, you don't think you would ever, I'm trying to like conceptualize what I want to say, but I'm like, did the, I don't want to talk too much more about it to like, you know, but is it just interesting to then have people, you know, bring it up and be like, Oh, these ideas are now like forever out in the world. And you didn't really think about that until it was actually published. Like as you were writing it, was it just sort of like a, I'm doing this because I have to, there wasn't really like the passion behind it. Yeah, I would say that's, yeah, I would say that's all true. <laughs> but well, I never really yeah. think about my books as like these ideas are in the world forever. I'm not too precious about my writing. Like I, I do find that to be a difficult thing about writing books is the permanence and, and the fact uh-huh. that they they take so long to come out. So when you're writing it, you think it's like, I always, it, mine is bad lawyer, but everything else, I, I think it's like brilliant at the time I'm writing it. And then by the time <laughs> it comes out, I'm like, what the fuck was, like, what was I even thinking? Um, and then I have to promote it. And I'm like, I don't remember who that person was who wrote that. Like, oh, yeah. you know, that was, that was me of three or four years ago. So yeah, that, that part's a little challenging. Now I'm like, I try to actually write down like what I'm thinking. Like when I start a new project, I even have started to anticipate doing interviews about the book in like three or four oh, years. Okay, wow. write down st- I've been starting, that's a new thing I've started. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get asked in four years, like how this idea came right. to 
and I probably won't remember. So I'm just going to write it down. So that's smart. No, I really, I like that because it's hard to keep track of things in this world. And then you might be like, I wish I had remembered that or known that. But if you've written it down, you can like remember yourself a little more. Um, How do you like balance the, and in your personal life, I guess, and in your books, you know, this self-deprecation and self-awareness, which I think a lot of, you know, people can relate to, but is such a specific balance of like these hateable anti-heroes who are still very likable? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm really drawn to characters who are sort of other people don't like, you know, <laughs> like a lot of the characters that I love in fiction, like people are like, oh, they're so awful. They're grating. They're a monster. You know, I go on Goodreads and people like hate them and I'm like, oh, well, I love them. Right. So I don't know. Um, I definitely don't try to make my characters grating and unlikable, but I definitely like lean into, uh, like messiness. Like I like Uh characters that are messy, obviously. Um, (laughs) so I, I really try to like go wild with that. And, um, there's something else I was going to say, but now I forget. Anyways, it'll come back to me. That should be on yeah. my that should be on my tombstone or what I mean, I want to be cremated, but that's <laughs> but <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm always like, oh, I was just and then you'll think of it, but then it was like, there and then it then it then it left. Yeah, no, no. But yeah, I don't try to um oh yeah, I remember it was okay, it came back to me. I was in a I was in a pretty angry place when I wrote Exalted. Um and the character like Emily's a very she's enraged, you know. And I mm-hmm. also um I think I was, that was when I was deep in my mosh fag phase and, and she writes very enraged. Oh my God. Yeah. I have so to read I, Labvona. I just got it from the library. Did you like it? I haven't read it yet. No, oh, I just got it from the library, it. but that's like a whole other thing. It's like, I'm always just drowning in library books. So that's, I do, ha- <laughs> I do have it, but I have like 10 other books ahead of it that I have to get to. <laughs> yeah. I've heard mixed things about it. Um, yeah. Some people I've heard love it. Some people hate it. So I don't know. I've, I've heard it's like one of her grosser ones, which Ooh, is I like that. Okay. You like that. Cause so that's yeah. one of my issue. That's one of the things that I find difficult about um, mosh bag is like the, the body, the gross body. Mm. So. And that's the only thing that ever like really, like I'm so immune to like horror and like murder and true crime. It's just like, but if something is like super viscerally like body humor, whether it or humor or like the script, whether it's more of like a horror or more of just like a, descriptive like character study and they're obsessed with body horror I mean I'm always like both viscerally like repulsed by it and like can't stop that's the only thing that like really makes me feel like some type of indescribable disgust but weirdly fascination feeling yeah yeah it's it's not my fave so I don't know I'm probably gonna skip it just because like you said there's so many books to read and it's so hard it's so I mean I literally like I love the Los Angeles Public Library that is how I get most of my books and I read them on my Kindle so it's constantly like your Kindle you can even like recommend them and as much as I like love the feeling of reading a book like I just don't have the space and the like it's just easier to to like get them online and I adapted pretty quickly I have had a Kindle for quite a long time but that's a whole other story Um, but just the way that it's like become in a way, like there's so many books, but it's like, it's hard to, you know, how does it feel in a time when there's so many books being published, but also like, because of that, you know, there's more to pick through. So it's like harder to get noticed, even if your book is on a list or a standout, whatever, because that just might be popular that week, but you got to keep it going more than that week, even though there's like 35 million other books that are coming out every week. 
Right. There's, there's a lot. I just spend so much time like researching which books I'm going to read because I hate getting a book and then not liking it, you know, and I, I'm very picky. So I don't like probably the majority of things. So I'll spend like hours and hours researching a book. I have like, yeah. So when I, when I get a book, I, yeah, there's, there've been like three or four hours of research that have gone in. Interesting. For for pretty much every book that you read. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm like the complete opposite where like, I literally will just like look through lists of where, you know, someone will, an author I like will post about a book that they're reading. And I'm like, okay, gotta add that, gotta add that. And before I know it, my list of to read is like a hundred books. And I'm very rarely on like a do not finish. And I try to kind of go off Goodreads reviews where like I, if it's like under three stars, I'm probably not going to read it. Um, Hmm. But sometimes like they're three stars. I don't know. It's like, but then does that like mean I'm, am I going in bias? Like I try also to not I'm the opposite where I don't research too much about the book. I'm like, oh, I know I liked this author. But then yeah. it's, I feel like I have wasted my time on like a lot of three star, you know, two and a half, you know, average books that were fine, but nothing great. But then I'm also like, it's, it's kind of feels hard to like hold them up to the standard of when like everything that you read has to be like worthy of your time. Yeah, there's a, I have a theory that like books, I actually feel like the sweet spot for me on Goodreads, I don't like stuff that's too high rated. Once it goes, once it's over four, I don't trust it. I think it's like basic. Um, Even like a, even like a three, nine, three, eight. I'm not sure about I like like three, five or three, four. Some of my favorite books are three, two, like (laughs) three, two, I think is perfect because it's like alienating enough, you know, because I think I like or like, I don't know. That's, that's just my theory. It's like on Rotten Tomatoes. I like, a, I like a movie that's like a 67. I wholeheartedly agree about <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. For some reason, Goodreads, I feel like if the person's taking the time to review it, that they're already like a more discerning reader than like someone on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. Who's just like right. consuming right. media mindlessly, which I do too. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, but that's a good point too, where like, and I'm very discerning about rating books, five stars. Like I probably only have like five or 10 and a five star book doesn't necessarily mean that like I would go back and reread it or whatever. But I think it's just like, there are books, I mean, cause I read so much too, that I'm like, oh, this really stuck out to me. And is something that I would find myself like recommending to people. But then you think about five stars and that's like, perfect and i'm like was this book actually perfect and like the best book ever no yeah uh, i so, know it's stressful it's nice to talk to somebody who's deep into the good room oh, because most of my friends are like what and i'm like yep. i spend so much time on goodreads and i think a lot about it too because for when i first started i would like honestly review books but now my thing is I, especially if it's a really popular book, I'm okay with giving it a low rating, but if it's a book that not a lot of people have read, mm-hmm. I just don't rate it because I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, that's like kicking someone while they're down. Well, you and know? you're an author and you're a publicly known author too. So it's kind of interesting to think that someone could like, look at that and be like, Oh, well, Anna Dorn rated this book two stars. Like, my, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And I actually saw a, a writer that I like, but who I think is kind of a bitch. I won't name who she is. Who oh gave, my God. Can you tell me off? Can you tell me after, off? Five months yeah. or so, yeah. <laughs> gave a kind of mean review to, to a book that like, wasn't even that popular, I, but it was like, it, it struck me as like jealousy or something. like you're petty. It struck well, me it's as like the petty. literary community is so tight. I mean, again, and I feel like as such, I'm so privileged to all like, I'm an observer. I write my own poetry and like nonfiction for fun, but like maybe I'll write a book one day, but I'm fine just being an observer and listening to other people's words. And it's so like, you know, leaving a five or, you know, a two-star review on someone's book and they only have 10 or 
reviews, like that's going to show up for everyone else who looks yeah. at that book. Like that is written in stone. It's like a Yelp, yeah. a bad Yelp review for a restaurant. Right. And that's their right. only Yelp right. review. Yeah. Anyone who's going to go visit that restaurant, because a lot of people will do the research. They won't just like, right. Like, if they just see the star rating. I mean, I might be like, Ooh, why are there only two stars? That's interesting that you are like, anything above 3.8. I'm going to think of that now. Anytime <laughs> I rate a book I four stars. A 3.2. I love a 3.2. And yeah, with my friends, like I'll give my friends books, five stars. Well, you of know? course, because that's like the, the gratuitous thing to do. Just like when, yeah, you know, if a friend yeah. has a project come out, you go and support it and you go. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. so, you know, you pay attention more as like part of that community as to like who's reviewing who and like who's, and you're more conscious of it too. Like if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it at all. Exactly. Yeah. So now I just, don't review. But now, yeah, I guess we shouldn't say that because now my book no, but, please. <laughs> but then there are some books that I feel like are, you know, deserving of those bad reviews. And like, you're, especially if they are higher, you're so, you know, you don't feel bad if it's already highly rated. Yeah, because, like Harry Potter, I gave a two. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, there's certain like where the crawdads sing, like, I mean, maybe it would be a three, but like, I don't think it's worthy of a four or a five or whatever it's at on yeah. um, good reasons. Yeah, I would be fine with giving any thing in Reese's book club, like a low score, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's another thing that I'm always like torn between there. It's like the Oprah bestsellers and the Reese's bestsellers. Cause sometimes there are really good books on there, but it's hard to tell if it's like just the sort of like, we know that this is going to be the trend and marketable and this author already has a book deal. So we're pushing it. And then it's like, I just read so many wonderful indie authors too, as I'm sure, you know, like, and I love like catapult publishing and I love like soft skull and all these, you know, the books that you can't even like, you have to buy the physical copy (laughs) because they don't even have a Kindle copy. Um, But it's, yeah, the world, the world of books is so fat. And then there's, I have my whole, I'm like, obsession with the Los Angeles public library where I spend hours like recommending books and looking through my holds and looking through my loans and seeing how much time I have left on each. Like, it's, a whole, it's, a whole, it's a whole obsession that I think like very few people would understand, but I, I'm sure you would get probably, you, you get it. Um, so you also, you teach writing and you, um, you know, you look at writing as more of an outside perspective too. So can you talk a little bit about that um, as well as a skill that I think that you've cultivated that I think is really nice is you have, captured the like 250 to 300 page talking about metrics and sweet spots. That's what I love for a book is like anything that's in about the 250 to 300, anything less sometimes feels a little bit incomplete if it is like a full novel and not just a novella or a short story. So how did you sort of like get to finding that sweet spot? That was pretty natural. I mean, I feel the same way. I don't like to read a book that's too, too long. I I mean, I I don't mind a novella, like the shorter, the better for me. Um, if it's meant to be a novella, I just hate like right. a novel that I'm like, okay, where are you? Like, was this a short story that you kind of tried to develop? Like, because right, uh, right. you just yeah. read so much too that you're like, you know, you, you try to understand a little more of the form and the questioning behind it. And you're like, right. I don't need to be satisfied, but I just need to feel like I like got my time's worth from this. Story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yes. Um, no, I mean, I, I sort of have my process, which is like, I write a, I write a first draft um, pretty quickly, like in a few months. I like get a spark of an idea like that, that um, my friend subletter who, who made the Instagram memes <laughs> or uh, for Vagabond, it was like um, just the idea of like a, a lawyer who wants to be a rapper. Like I'll get a spark of an idea and then I'll just sort of write it. You know, I write the bulk, the bulk of the draft in like a few months. And I, for the first draft, it's pretty skeletal and I don't go back and edit and I'm very mm-hmm. messy. And it's like about 40, 45,000 words. 
which is more like a novella. And then I have people that I respect, like friends who thank you for them. Or, or I've, I, yeah, like mostly just I'll trade a manuscript with like a writer uh-huh. friend and, um, and then they'll sort of tell me places to beef it up and then I'll beef it up and I'll get it up to like 50, 60,000 words. And then I'll send it to my agent and then we'll go back and forth and maybe beef it up a little bit more. Um, and then by the end, it becomes almost twice as long. I mean, what was, God, I should know off the top of my head how long Exalted and Vagabond were, but I think- No, it's okay. I think Exalted, I want to say was like, because it was like, 250, 260, something like that. I maybe. think it was probably around like 70,000 words. So yeah, so I'm starting something at like, like that, 40, yeah. 45. And so that's, so I, in the drafting, I'm like bulk, really bulking it up. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, that's the, yeah, I think of it in terms of words, um, but, but I'm not too strict about it, but yeah, the first draft it normally tends to be around 40,000, 45,000. So you always kind of like, word dump and then add rather than I know some other people sort of like add too much and then take away, but you always feel like it's better to have like a strong foundation and then build from there. Yeah. I have to like, yeah, I don't know for my, I, everybody's different. Um, and maybe my books would be better if I did it differently. (laughs) I'm not sure. No, they (laughs) don't. I mean, they are what they are because of who you are. I don't think, you know, your next one will, you'll learn from each one, of course, but I don't think, you know, that better is a stupid term. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, for me, I do feel like there is something to writing the a draft quickly um, because then it has like this sort of urgency and momentum mm. um, that I feel like is important. Like sometimes I read books where I'm just like, it seems very clear that each part, each section was like written separately, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it's like very polished, um, but it, it doesn't have that. Like, I, I like, you know, when people tell me they read my book fast, that's like a huge compliment because I want it to be, that's, that's what I want. I want people to like, feel like they have to read it in one sitting. Right. And I think that that is coming from the fact that I'm writing it really fast, you know? So that's, that's sort of my theory behind that, but, but, you know, everybody does it differently. So. Yes. Well, I think that's a really cool, you know, because people read it fast, you're writing it fast, but it's also like, because there are certain books that also could just be 250 pages, but they just kind of feel like a slog because either you're right. It's like too, po- too polished is a really good thing too. I'm like, you're right. I want the messiness. And there are times where it's too messy. And I'm like, yes, you could definitely use more polishing. But I think that's what I love about indie publishing or like more, you know, indie- and that's, what's cool about your books too, is they feel like more indie messy books that are now, you know, being presented from these big publishing houses and making it to these lists and stuff Thanks. on all the lists. Um, so I will ask you one more question because I want to be sensitive of your time, of course. Um, but I love how open your characters and your books are about marijuana use because I, I myself am a big, I'm a big marijuana advocate and fan. And I've constantly said, you know, I'm not out there preaching on the streets, but that like, it, it should not have the same, you know, it should have the same, you know, like stigma as alcohol. Like, why don't we look at it the same? Like, why do we have this different stigma and concept of it? And I love how your characters like use it sort of just like alcohol, where it's not like they're stoners necessarily. It's more just like they are people who smoke weed and love weed and it's part of their personality. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, your own personal, if you want to talk a little bit about your own personal experience with marijuana and how, you know, you got comfortable sort of like sharing it and opening up your characters and like including it as something that is more normalized and more a part of like everyday life, if that makes sense. 
Um, it's funny because I recently quit. Oh, well, I quit in like January. Yeah. So That's still pretty recent. About, yeah. I mean, I've, I kind of realized I hadn't gone more than like five days without it in like 15 years. So I was like, um, yeah, that's, um, I mean, I don't think 15 years. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. That's, it's scary when you think about it like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'd been smoking less and less over the years, but, um, it, it was definitely like a habit and, uh, I'm a pretty high anxiety person and it, it made off, it made me more anxious pretty much every time, but there was also like the euphoria that that's mm-hmm. why I started for the euphoria <laughs> and for the creativity and it makes music better. And, um, and sometimes like made me less annoyed by people. Um, yes, yes that's a big which, factor. Yeah. Which was big for me. Um, and a little just like looser and goofier. So I have so much respect for weed. I always love it. I think it did a lot for me, but I, I think at least for now, I'm like, I feel like it's, it did what it needed to do. Mm, okay. And, um, yeah, so now I'm off it. Um, and then with, um, with exalted, like I originally, cause like Vagabond was so boozy as a book. I was like, I'm going to write a character who doesn't drink. So I don't have to like rely on alcohol. Right. Um, but then I wrote Dawn and she's like guzzling alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'll probably at some point stop writing about stoners. It's probably just like age appropriate. You know, I'm 35. Um, I, I, I thought I didn't think of myself like when I thought of my future self, I was like, I probably will stop doing drugs like in my mid thirties. And so and here you I'm are, trying yeah. to yeah stick to that um, because it just, yeah, it's just, it wasn't sustainable for me. I need to do a little lifestyle change. So that's part of it. Maybe I'll smoke weed again in the future, but like sparingly, not habitually gotcha. the way that I was before. It'll become yeah. more of like a special occasion thing. Yeah. Maybe like gummies. Cause yes. gummies, I, um, I love Gummies are totally different. Um, yes. Totally. I, I agree. Just like everything. edibles in general are usually a different yeah. experience. Or edibles. Yeah. I think like, yeah, I could see myself doing edibles on like a special occasion in the future, but I'll pr- I'm probably done with smoking in general just for like health reasons. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I pretty much quit to just like, I stopped doing the bong pretty much and just only vape, which is like still not great for you, but like better, different kind of bad. Um, Do you use the packs or? I use something called the plug and play, not sponsored, but if they want to sponsor this, I would love Uh. to because I spend far too much money, which is similar to the packs and that it's like not the 501 seat there, whatever it's, you know, like not the traditional vape battery. It's like its own cartridge for its own battery and it looks a little bit more like a usb stick and so it pulls stronger number one and it also tastes really good they have like fruity flavors that don't don't even taste like weed but they're like bougie and expensive (laughs) and then you can only use those so i've gotten like addicted to them and i don't even want to think to talk about like denial like and all that i don't want (laughs) self-awareness it's like the cognitive dissonance of like knowing that i should probably just cut down because it's definitely like my big vice like i don't really drink very much i pretty much only smoke weed and then i'll drink on a special occasion um so i like kind of i'm like oh it evens itself out but like I well, I think it's definitely healthier than alcohol. Well, healthier I mean, financially, though, that is the hard part because so I'm buying these expensive. They're like fifty bucks each, and I, I how quickly do you go like one a week, which is a gram? Oh. So yeah, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's expensive. <laughs> and so if you do that math, that's like four thousand. It's thousands of dollars a year on marijuana. How it's also, it could like, be worse of all the things. Right. That's what I worse. think. I mean, I'm, I'm an enabler. I'm a famous enabler, but I don't think it's so bad. And are you like? When you hit it, because like 
I was sort of like a one or two hit. Like how many hits are you taking? That's the thing is sometimes I think I take like four hits, especially if I'm like super ADD and what, and you know, then I'm like, did I even just really like, I don't even consciously keep track of like when I'm smoking it. So that's like part of the problem is because I consider myself like a functioning stoner where like my tolerance is probably really high, but also even I'm good at, it does more of like the de-stressing and loosening because I'm a very like high anxiety person as well. So I feel like it kind of just like, quiets my thoughts and like brings me down a little more to like who I'm supposed to be. But then that's the inverse of like, well, like, who are you without it? And it's like, where does the balance end? Some people do. I mean, it is like some people do sort of, for me, it it never felt medicinal. Like I was not a, that's how it is. I view it as a medicine. Like, yeah, no. And some people need it like this. My law school boyfriend actually uh, was very smart and he had a lot of trouble. Like he, he sort of needed it to socialize. Like he needed yeah. to like dumb himself down a little bit. And for him, and he could do any, like he could do like tests high. Um, are you like that? Can you like work high? And stuff yeah. Like yeah. Um, hopefully no one's yeah. listening to this when we work. Uh, no, I yeah. would never do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I you mean, no, could, I, hypothetically. I, I could, no, I could. And like, I think I, the biggest thing is like, I know my limits. Like if I have a meeting, maybe that's like, I can take a little bit more of a backseat on and it's like later in the day, but like, Right. If I have like a high stress event with like a big customer, I work, my day job is doing like online webinars for people. So like, if I have the actual webinar, I'm not going to do anything, but it's working remotely is hard to, because then it's sort of like, it used to be like weed was my home thing. And I'm in an office for part of most of the day. And now that I'm home, it's like, that's a whole other thing. Is it a wake and bake situation? Uh, depends. <laughs> I mean, the other thing too, is I take, um, Vyvanse for my ADD, but okay. I only take it on certain days when I like really need to focus because okay. not more, some of my days are a little more like chill, like just answering emails. Like I don't actually have to like talk to anybody. So on those days, I don't feel like I take it. Sometimes I feel like on the days that I take the Vyvanse, I'm smoking more because even though my ADD is better, like the anxiety is a little worse. So it's, it's a whole fun combination of things, but I'm at yeah. least like self-aware enough about it that I'm like, that's, that's the first step of being okay. I'm not, I'm not like in denial about it. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, when I used to take, uh, amphetamines recreationally, I would smoke like a freaking chimney, anything I could get. My I mean, I don't do that anymore. I did in my college, in my college years, definitely would, you know, snort, snort in the Adderall and, you know, take it, taking things at 7 PM if you need to stay up. But now I just feel like I cannot, like my body cannot handle that anymore. Like, so I would be like suicidal the next day, but yeah, the, the down, the downfall of the endorphins yeah. is like rough, but something about, um, amphetamines, like, makes me want to smoke. I don't know what that is, but like smoking just feels really Do you feel like you have an oral fixation? Like, so I think that's part of it. I mean, I destroy, I actually painted my nails for once, but I destroy my cuticles. Like that is my big nervous habit thing. And I don't view that as like the same thing as like picking out your hair and like having bald spots, but then to other people, it's like, what's wrong? Like, is your cuticle okay? Like, do you have a cut? And I'm like, oh shit, that's just like me here. Like picky. <laughs> like the things that are your, like, it's a weird denial of like, I know it's bad. I've done it my whole life. And I guess it is technically a form of trichotillomania, which, you know, like obsessive oh, picking, but yeah, picking at your cuticle skin is, I love saying that word too, is, <laughs> is a form of trichotillomania. And it's like, we, I never thought of myself like that, but I'm like, oh shit, I do have, cause it's like, it's pretty it ebbs and flows, but it's like pretty bad. And it's been going on my whole life. And that's just like, I don't know if I'll ever really be rid of it because even if I'm super not anxious and everything's chill, like I just, it's an unconscious thing. I just do it. 
Have you tried like the nail polishes that aren't there? Yeah, the but it's it's the cute it's the cuticles. It's not the nails. Oh, so you so can definitely. bite around it. Oh yeah. So I mean, I don't know if you can see like there. That's, oh, yeah. that's not even like that bad, honestly. But like my nails are painted, but you can see it. So it's not the nails, it's the area okay. surrounding okay, the nails. Yeah, I can kind of see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been cleaned up a little bit, my claws. <laughs> My Visual. sister breaks her nails down to nothing. No, but. it's I view that, and that's what's weird. I view that as gross. Like sometimes, if my nail breaks down really low, or I have to do, I'm like, oh, I hate that. But meanwhile, I have like a fucking bloody gash on the side of my <laughs> finger, and I'm like, ooh, that's gross. But I just, it's like a weird. We're all complex humans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I lied though. I do have one very quick last question. Oh, yeah, um, what are you reading now, or what did you recently read since you put so much thought and research into your books? <laughs> I want to know what. what um, you okay, I might have to open my Goodreads because this oh, is why this story is story of the, my life. Thank that's you so much because I can never remember off the top of my head. Um, I know I feel I like you just spoke deep down into my soul, by the way. That's like, I say that all the time. People will be like, oh, can I have book recommendations? So I'm like, yeah, one sec. Let me just like look at my good. Cause I, I literally can't remember. No, it's, it's an obsession. Oh, so I read, did you read boy parts by Eliza Clark? I, that's when, let me, let me check. <laughs> it's let really, check. It's I, I know the name sounds familiar. So I either read it or I, it's on my to be read, but I think I did. It was shortlisted for the Women's Prize or longlisted, but um, I can never remember. No, nope, it's on my want to read. It so I do want to read it. Incredible! It was very dark, um, but it's a uh, it's British chick. She was like 26 when she wrote it. I hate her. But anyways, um, it was incredible. And uh, and then right now I just started the new newish came out last year. Dana Spiota, who I really like. Um, Wayward. Mm, um, I think I that one I. I really think I did read that one. Have you read her any of her? Other oh, books? yep, I did read Wayward, and I loved it. And I gave okay. it, I gave it four stars. So clearly, oh, I, did, I did. Okay, good. I just started it, and so far it's good. Um, oh, and I just finished um, Adults. It's actually called Adults in the UK: Grown Ups in the US um, by Emma Jane Unsworth, who wrote Animals. Um, Animals is like a Twenty uh, something drinking party girl book, um, but grown up is like about a thirty five year old who's addicted. What's it to called? So it's called adults. Adults in the UK, grown ups in the US. Adults is a better name and it's a better cover. So I put adults on my Goodreads, even though I read. Oh, that's I'm <laughs> such an idiot. Wait, I thought that was the literal title: adults in the UK, grown ups in the US. And I'm like, why is nothing showing up? No, that makes sense. Nope, no, I'm sorry. Okay, grown. I don't think they're. <laughs> I was like, what is, um, I'm in sort of an Anglophile phase. I've been reading a lot of British. Gosh, I love, I'm obsessed with the Brits. There's like certain like lifestyle vloggers who I watch on YouTube who like, I don't know them. And they just like live their lives in England. And I love to watch them just live their lives. I just love the accent too. And the slang. Like I picked up so much good so slang. Fun, yeah. Boy parts where I was like constantly looking it up and now I can't remember any of it. <laughs> it's okay. Um, That's how it's, it's all there eventually. What have you read recently? Um, let's see. I read a really good one. I'm say just yesterday called All My Rage. And it's by, mm-hmm. I want to find it. It's about these two Pakistani. And I think they're Pakistani. I hope that's the other thing is I feel like 
I'm so glad I shifted away from like talking about five books a week because I just literally like cannot keep the semantic details sometimes in track of just like the character names. Um, All My Rage by Saba Tahir. And it was a really beautiful, it says it's young adult, but it didn't even feel like young adult to me. It's about these two um, immigrants and their relationship, but also like how they navigate like Islamophobia and abuse and like growing it. They live in this small town outside of California. And one of the boys um, family runs a hotel or a motel and it's sort of like the American dream stuff. I didn't even know it was young. That's what I love. It's like, sometimes I love finding little things on Goodreads or I'm like, I didn't even know this was a young adult book, but it didn't. Yes. They I are. have a few favorite books that have been, yeah, that, that are maybe technically YA. I kind of like YA. No, I do too. I mean, that's a whole other, yeah. Um, it is, they are Pakistani. So I got that right. And then also another one that I read, which is talking about Goodreads. Like I almost didn't read it because it had like a low three-star rating. This is like um, Wildcat by Amelia Morris about that's well, just that's a, on my list. It was really good. Another, I okay. thought of you too when I read it because it's very like LA, well, it's more like LA moms satire, yeah. but like, you know, West Hollywood, LA moms, but um, really just like stream of consciousness, character development about a woman who's friends with another horrible woman and how she like navigates that relationship and motherhood. And I could see why it wasn't for everyone because she probably is not the most likable. And it's definitely a lot yeah. of like where rich people, but it's very, it's self-aware and it's, it's yeah. not like as satirical as something like bag of blonde, but it's definitely like, it knows what it's doing. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, that's that was on my list, um, so I will read it. I feel like the to- now that you said it, I'm like it was probably the toxic friendship that was why I put it on my list because like anything like tag yes. like friendship, I just like immediately, especially with like that. the social media sort of like you know how do I navigate like still being friends with this person and the the wealth component too because like I live in Los Angeles, but like everyone's version of Los Angeles is so different depending on how much money you have and just like the world that they inhabit is just like one that I like have sort of been on the periphery of, but like will never actually be a part of. And it's just like crazy to imagine. Yeah, I know. It's always fun. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't mind reading about rich people. I mean, it's like yeah. stuff that's like aspirational and same. I mean, part of the reason I watch Housewives is because I want to see them go on expensive trips, you know? Like, right. I I'm like, I want to do that one day. And then if I do yeah. like get an expensive dinner, I like don't feel as bad because I'm like, well, look, they're spending hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I could definitely just like keep talking to you about books and good reads, but I'll yeah. be sensitive of our time. Um, we will link. <laughs> Link your site down below and where they can buy Exalted. Um, we'll talk for a second offline, but um, until next time, everyone, stay reading and thank you, Anna, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, everyone. Bye.